1: defend and share your faith with confidence this is unapologetic from premier unbelievable
0: thank you for joining us on unapologetic i'm ruth jackson and before we hear from today's guest just a quick reminder to visit premierunbelievable.com for more shows articles and resources and you can also register there for the chance to win a free book And if you enjoy listening to Unapologetic, then please do consider rating and reviewing it on your podcast platform. But now for today's show. I am delighted to be joined today by Aaron Aurora, the Bishop of Kirkstall in the Diocese of Leeds and the Honorary Canon of Ripon Cathedral. Aaron has written the excellent book, Stick With Love, which is the Archbishop of York's Advent book for this year. Aaron, you cite a really interesting poll in your book conducted in 2004 to determine the greatest black icon of all time. Would you just say a little bit about that? Because I thought, you know, who who topped it was fascinating.
1: It was a poll run by New Nation newspaper, uh, which is a a newspaper predominantly aimed at African Caribbean uh, communities in Britain. And uh, they ran a poll for the greatest black icon of all time. Uh, And the competition was fierce. Uh, and within uh, the top ten, uh, Nelson Mandela, uh, Muhammad Ali, Oprah Winfrey, uh, Mary Seacole, who just uh, not long before that poll had been voted uh, the Greatest Black Britain in a poll run by the BBC for the wonderful thing that she did in nursing. But at the top, and the winner by a country mile, was Jesus. And I think a lot of people found that surprising because when they picture Jesus, they don't picture someone who's black. Um, But of course, uh, we know that uh, Jesus uh, coming from the Middle East and born in the Middle East wouldn't have been, unlikely to have been uh, blue-eyed, blonde-haired and fair-skinned. And yet that is the image, of course, born of the Renaissance, that uh, we have in most of our churches here in England.
0: And so do you think Jesus was black? And I suppose uh, even more importantly, do you think it matters?
1: I think one of the uh, implications of how we picture uh, who Jesus was relate to the incarnation, to what Jesus looks like. No. The incarnation is a no. huge game changer in our understanding of the world, in our understanding of God. Uh, God physically takes on uh, human flesh. Uh, as we read at the start of John's Gospel at Christmas and enters human history. And I think some of the impact that that uh, might have when we uh, try to picture what Jesus looks like could be, for instance, um, how uh, slave traders viewed the chattels they were buying and selling in Bristol, in Liverpool, in London in Cardiff, would it have made a difference to them, I wonder, if having sold women and men on Saturday, they then went to worship on Sunday and looked up and saw in that stained glass an image of Jesus that looked remarkably like the chattel they had sold the previous day. I think it makes a difference, potentially, in how we treat one another in recognising the image of God in one another.
0: Yeah, you've got a wonderful line which summarises what you've just said in in the book. You say, images of Christ reflecting the very physicality of his incarnation have the power to inform not only how we understand God, but also how we treat one another. And I think that summarises it so beautifully. I mean, you share some really harrowing stories of, of some of your experiences of people asking you things, um, particularly in services when you were speaking as, as a guest speaker. I mean, why is asking someone where they're really from so, so deeply offensive, Aaron?
1: It's In some ways, there's a natural um, politeness, you know, that all of us uh, have experienced in coffee time after church, when, you know, if you see someone new... And you go up, and all oh, I haven't seen you before, where are you from, that kind of thing. But then I think when uh, you are, or for me, I know it's not just my own experience, but for me as someone who is uh, not white, he's an Asian man, where are you from uh, carries with it an undercurrent of otherness that seeks to d- distinguish rather than unify a sense of because um, where are you from? And sometimes I'll say, oh, I'm from Birmingham and that's enough. And then they know, no, but where are you really from? And I'll say, oh, I'm really from Birmingham, you know, in that sense of <laughs> laying it on and proving it. But then they no, 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 no. Where were you originally from? And within that, uh, I'm not in that suggesting somehow that they, those asking the questions, are of bad faith or of bad heart. You know, perhaps they're seeking to direct the conversation to the fact that once they've been to India or, you know, uh, or uh, try and tell a story of uh, something linked uh, to the colour on my skin, but the focus is always then on my otherness. On the colour of the skin, on the fact that I'm different, and part of the um, part, part of the uh, unease about that is that you know moments earlier we would have celebrated together, say, in the Eucharist, our commonality yeah. in Christ, our identity in Christ, our common identity as sisters and brothers. And then all of a sudden, you know, almost 10 minutes later, that unity, that oneness, uh, is replaced by almost a re-emphasis of distinctions that we see in the world, be that uh, distinctions of colour, uh, class, background, whatever it might be. So the unease that's associated with that question. And I think perhaps, uh, and I mentioned this reading the book, uh, the most extreme example came uh, when I just preached and presided at uh, a service uh, filling in for uh, a holiday in clergyman, where at the end the question wasn't even where are you from, but what religion are you? <laughs> and, uh,
0: now, I know I, I, I been... had to laugh so hard when I, I could not believe that.
1: <laughs> it could have been that you know, <laughs> it really was a quite damning critique of my sermon that And uh, maybe, uh, you know, maybe it was what so does poor... this man believe? <laughs> well, it was so poor that he just thought, you know, what is this nonsense? Um, well... But the fact that I had then celebrated communion, spoken the words of Jesus. Uh, shared with him the body and blood of Christ and declared together our common creed. But that all of that uh, seemed secondary to the colour of my skin, which meant that somehow, uh, because I'm Asian, I must be Muslim or Hindu or Sikh, because, you know, Asian Christians does not compute.
0: So how do we change that narrative? Because we cannot carry on like that, can we? Um, I think
1: there has been uh, some progress. Uh, uh, I I think uh, we're now in a position to say, and I can talk about the Church of England in this context. Uh, We've talked about uh, in uh, Lament to Action, which was uh, I was the co-author of that report around, how the Church of England can begin to address issues of racism, both institutional racism and otherwise within its own ranks. But really at the heart of that is a call to be more, a call for Mm -hmm. the church, not just the Church of England, but the church as a whole, to be a place of justice for anti-racism within wider society, to be uh, the city on the hill, to be the light that shines that guides others. So within the Church uh, of England, we've made uh, some progress. We now have, uh, in the whole language of uh, needing to see it, to be it, in terms of participation of diverse voices. Uh, We now have more uh, bishops from global majority backgrounds uh, than we've ever had. At the most senior level, at the Darsen level, we're still where we were 20 years ago with two uh, I don't think there's ever been more than two um Darcy and bishops from Global Majority Heritage, out 42, that is, uh, in our history. Uh, and to that extent, and that first happened uh, about 25 years ago. So we're back up to that level. That's good. Hopefully it will progress. More readily, I think it's about looking at our practices and putting into place some of the recommendations that have been made over the past 30, 40 years in various reports to General Synod that have basically not been acted upon, where we've all said, yes, yes, of course we're all against racism. Yes, yes, it's terrible. But when it comes to, okay, so this is what we need to do to change this, those things haven't happened. That's changing, uh, and some of those actions are now happening, and that's really positive there is progress um, it's not arguably quite enough and it's not moving as fast as it should but it's a start you're listening to unapologetic from Premier unbelievable
0: You mentioned there the Lamenta Action Report, which that came out of the um, anti-racism task force, the Archbishop's anti-racism task force that you were co-chair of back in 2021. I mean, how did that come about? How was that task force formed and how did you get involved, Aaron?
1: I think part of it was what was was the Church of England asking itself, as many uh, institutions and organisations did, how they responded to... Uh, the impact of the murder of George Floyd, um, the subsequent actions in Black Lives Matter, which all really shone a light, I think, on institutions, saying, how do we uh, deal with racism? How do we treat um, black and Asian, uh, global majority heritage women and men who come to us or who are part of us? And I think the House of Bishops and the Archbishops of uh, Canterbury and York recognised that the Church of England wasn't doing great in this. No. And part of the task force that they established and they asked me to be uh, a member of was to try and set out what we could do as a church uh, to start addressing this. And one of the things that has happened as a result. There's now a Racial Justice Commission that's looking particularly at areas like monuments, like theology, uh, like uh, post-slavery reparations, different issues, complaints, procedures, some really practical things. Uh, And to say, how can we uh, really address what we're doing in these areas? And the way that either racism has been at work or how, and even if it comes to things like our different uh, reading and theology, how we can begin to be open to different voices, to recognise that there's more. Uh, I think someone I know put it, that when it comes to theologians, there's more than dead white German men when it comes to uh, <laughs> how, we, uh, how we come to understand our Bible, how we come to reading it. Uh, that actually, there are wider uh, voices of different experience who are as equally intent in their study and knowledge of God who bring uh, different things to the table.
0: I mean, I guess lots of what you're talking about there is sort of high level Church of England wide, you know, things to be able to put into place. But what can church communities and individuals be doing to help bring about racial justice, do you think? Mm.
1: I think at its heart, it's about recognising that racism is a sin. That this isn't something that we do because it's politically correct or because it's the latest fad or trend or wokiness. But um, uh, racism is a sin. It's evil. Uh, Galatians 3.28 tells us that we are all one in Christ, that there is no male, female, uh, slave, free, Jew, uh, Gentile, that actually we are one in Christ. And if we deny that, we are denying uh, Christ's saving work. We are denying uh, the meaning of the gospel. We are denying of what it is to be born again into a new identity in Christ when we come to faith. And so actually, uh, opposing racism, and this is what I think is uh, central to the uh, what you asked, it's about being uh, intentionally anti-racist, which is the same as saying being intentionally pro-gospel. And that means, uh, I think, the church potentially, the opportunity for the church, is to be the go-to people when it comes to justice. Um, there is no national organization or body in England now uh, whose job it is is to lead on issues of racial justice. Years ago, there was the Commission for Racial Equality. Locally, there were race equality councils. They've all been abolished uh, with the... Uh, establishment of the single human rights uh, body that looks now after the whole of equality and diversity. So uh, gender, age, uh, sexuality, religion, and belief. But it means there is now a vacuum in society around whose job is it to promote racial justice. And because there is no individual body or organisation, particularly in England, Um, I think that's an opportunity for the church to say uh, we can be the people who are the justice people. Not just on this, but yes on this. So when we think of Martin Luther King, when we think of Desmond Tutu, when we think of Christian women and men who have led Rosa Parks, uh, people who have led in this area, Uh, They've done so out of faith, out of their commitment to Jesus. And uh, you don't need to be a person of colour to be anti-racist. You don't need to be. uh, You don't need to have experienced racism to fight against it. Because in fighting against it, you're taking up the shield of the gospel. And so that really is the call. It's a call of discipleship.
0: Aaron, why is Christmas an important time to be having these conversations around race? And and how do we ensure that it's not just conversations, but actually that leads to action?
1: I think part of it goes back to what we're talking about in terms of the incarnation. Uh, At Christmas, we do mark the entering of God into human history in an occupied territory, uh, occupied by the Romans as he comes powerless, as he comes frail, uh, as he comes fragile. And God enters into human history and that's why I think at uh, that part human experience, he elevates human experience by entering into. It. And so I think that's why uh, at Christmas we really uh, we uh, mark that entering in also recognize um, the implications of that from that moment, that that moment changes everything. The incarnation changes everything. Uh, and I think that's why the implications of that in how we treat each other um, and what it means to treat other people less well, uh, be that on the basis of their race, their gender, or whatever, that the incarnation is a reminder, Christmas is a reminder, that we don't get to do that
0: Thank you for listening to Unapologetic. I'm Ruth Jackson, and as always, you can find out more about our guests through the links with today's show. We would love to hear your feedback. Do drop us an email with your thoughts at, unbelievable at premier.org.uk. or get in touch via social media. And don't forget, there are more shows, articles and resources at our website, premierunbelievable.com. You can also register there for the chance to win a free book. That's premierunbelievable.com. And if you enjoy listening to Unapologetic, please do consider rating and reviewing it. Thank you for listening and see you next time.
1: You've been listening to Unapologetic. For more shows, resources, and our newsletter, visit PremierUnbelievable.com.